Well, welcome. So glad you're with us. This morning, I want to look with you into Matthew chapter 22. We're going to move along in our study through the book of Matthew. And so, if you will, turn with me. Um, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 this morning. All right. And we will start in verse 1. Lord, please help us this morning, God, to understand your word. Please help us, God. Bring us the truth. The truth, Lord, as you see it, as you've written it. Help us, God. Lord, help me to deliver in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, the powerful message of the gospel that is the power of salvation to all who believe. And God, we pray, we pray, Lord, that all would believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Matthew 22, verse 1. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. This word of the Lord is an incredible one. It is a heavy one, it is a weighty one, especially considering the way it ends there, right? And that's that section, of course it doesn't end, it goes on, Matthew 22, this isn't the end of the chapter even, but we are um, being enlisted into the kingdom of God and the teaching of God, the wisdom of God, the discernment of God through the parables of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus uses these parables, these parables, remember the word parable, again, I'll say this again and again, just make sure we're all on the same page, is a story, it's a truth, it's a story, it's an example, an illustration that lays alongside of a truth, so that they're parallel, they run in the same direction. The illustration of the story, the picture that's painted by Christ, he uses that to illustrate the truth, to unpack the truth, to make the truth come alive in people's minds and hearts. Now he did this, Purposefully, he knew there would be some that would not understand it. And for them, for them, it was not for them to understand. But for his followers, it was for their upbuilding so that they would dig deeper and gain real knowledge from God by learning about the depth of God and how he understands things, how he sees things, and how he set them forth throughout the course of human history. So a parable, again, is a, an illustration that lays alongside of a truth that unpacks the truth and illustrates it for the listener. Now, this last verse here bears mentioning, as we begin today, this, for many are called, but few are chosen, in 14. Many are called, few are chosen. It bears mentioning, I want to read another passage that also tells us of a calling that seems to be different than the one spoken of here. And I'll unpack this for you, and I'll talk about a little, a little bit about why we're going into this here in a moment. But if you will... Join me in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. 
Verse 28, Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's the word called again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We must not assume, we must not assume, church, that the words of Scripture have the same meaning from book to book, author to author. The word called here is used in a different way. I was listening to Pastor John Piper and his thoughts on these two passages, along with reading a bunch from Matthew Henry and Charles Spurgeon um, and, um, and some others as well. And I was also studying into the, the, the meanings of the, of the original words in the Greek language. And uh, uh, simply put, Piper says this, listen to this, the word set, S-E-T, in the Oxford English Dictionary, has 464 listed definitions. 464, okay? That's not, a, that's not a, I ain't messing up there, that's real. 464 listed definitions, the word set, S-E-T, just as an example of how flexible words are and how people use them. The word run, R-U-N, has 396 listed definitions. It's just it's some insight into the fact that words are flexible because they are in our human languages, the different ones that we have across the world. Um, and because of our human languages and how different they are, we need context in order to study the Bible and know what it's telling us. So we need to know what's around it. You ever learned about context clues when you were in school? Right? We, we try to figure out a word. We, we see a word that's a little bit too big, or maybe we haven't seen it before. Maybe it's a little word. We just haven't seen it before, right? Um, and uh, I used to say words and pronounce them wrong all the time, and I would think that I was doing it right because I never bothered to look them up. But whenever I needed to know the meaning of a word, my parents or my teachers would always tell me, there's a dictionary, look it up. So they would always tell me. We didn't have, hey, Google back then. Now you're like, hey, Google. You know, what does so-and-so mean if you have a little Google device or something? Or, hey, Siri, right, if you have an iPhone or something. And, oh, look, my iPad, it's picking me up. I said, hey, Siri, and now it's trying to, it's literally, okay. We're glitch. okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so, there's a dictionary, look it up, they said, right? We also had another way of figuring out what words meant in sentences. What was that? It was using context clues. We would read everything around that word, the sentence itself that the word was used in, how it was used in that sentence, and then we would also read the things around it, maybe the paragraph that it was written in, so that we could figure out what does this word mean. And so these are things that we use in order to find meaning, to find meaning, and this is the same thing we need to do when studying the Bible. Because the same words are used differently by different people at different times, and they are also used differently by the same people at different times. The same authors will use one word in different ways. So we're talking about the word called here. And what's important for us to understand um, is this the text of Scripture, which is breathed out by God to His people. But we need to understand that we need to study the Scripture and the text of Scripture in context with what's around it. It's important for us to know what's going on at the time, who's speaking, who they're speaking to, what specific topic or truth that they're talking about, and how they're doing it. For instance, let me ask you a question. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you, do you like to rock? Anybody here like to rock? Anybody? You like to rock? Okay. Anybody else like to rock? Yeah, okay, back there in the sound room, of course, right? Anybody else? You like to rock, all right? Rock, okay. Now, what do you think I'm talking about? Okay, rocking chair. Anybody else? You were thinking something else, weren't you? You like that one, too? What were you thinking? Rock music. Rock out to music, okay? Clear illustration, little example there of how words, the same word, can be used different ways, Right? And be completely different. In order, in order to know what I'm talking about, maybe you'd ask the question, what do you mean rock? You know, what do you mean? Like rocking? Or you mean like rock out to some music? What are you talking about, right? 
totally different, one thing having nothing whatsoever to do with the other, unless, of course, you're going to rock out to rock music while you're rocking in your rocking chair, right? Um, still completely different actions. They deal with different objects, right? Different subjects. Music and chairs. Not musical chairs. It can be confusing. It can be confusing. And this is the point of in-depth study in the Bible. It can get tricky when we start saying one word means something when it doesn't, in fact, mean that at all when we read the context. But we need context in order to make sense of the meaning of the text. And so we read around what's going on. And we, being spiritual and made new by the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last, last week and the week before, we need to be reading with our spiritual minds. We need to be reading with our spiritual hearts. We need to be seeing with our spiritual eyes, listening with our spiritual ears, which could we need this in order to understand what God is telling us. Because the truth of God, as you'll remember, we read from the Bible, is foolishness to the world. And they cannot understand the truth of God, but we, being spiritual, who are led by the Holy Spirit, need to understand the truth of God, and we can understand this truth. We can understand it. But the only way we can understand spiritual truths is by being spiritual. We have to be born of the Spirit. And the only way we can do that is by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, in Romans 8, which we read, if you are called, you are justified. It says predestined, called, justified. That means that you're saved. So the calling there is talking about salvation, a salvation call. And this is the correct use of the word call in terms of being saved and brought close by the grace of God. In Matthew 22, which we're reading, the calling is an invitation. It is not the calling of salvation. It is an invitation, like being born into this world. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they're born into the nation of Israel. And we know that that nation is the chosen people of God. They're born into this by blood. They're set apart, but then we find out through disobedience that many of those who are born into the physical bloodline of the Israelite people, the Jewish nation, are not going to be saved. We hear about all sorts of them falling away, right? During the time of Noah, right? God said their hearts were all evil all the time. So he saved one family, one family. And then during the time of Moses, we hear of a great disobedience between the, among the Israelites, right? They were always complaining and always grumbling about something, but they were disobedient. And many of them did not get to enter into the promised land, right? There was a great disobedience. And so we actually learn in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham was the father of faith. And we learn that the children of the Lord are not the children born of a certain bloodline, a physical bloodline, but those who are born of the Spirit through faith. So the children of Abraham are children of faith. Amen? Are we following here? They're children of faith. We learn that the promise of the Lord made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations was a spiritual promise that God made to him that would extend all the way to us by faith. And the scripture says that Abraham believed, that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? Not that he was righteous, thereby declared justified, but that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? How? Because he was chosen. chosen. Because like Romans uh, 8 said, he was called according to the purpose of the will of God. And there's a difference between the invitation calling and the salvation calling of God. He calls all to believe. He sends out the invitation, but those who are chosen are those who accept that offer. And those are also the people the Bible calls the elect. The elect or the election of God. This is not of works. It is by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we read this truth in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 9, Ephesians 2, among other places, no doubt. And if we could simply be invited in and saved, then Pharisees would not have faced the condemnation that they did face, whether well, they faced a, from Jesus and they, that they face here in this parable that Jesus is teaching them through. Nor at any other time during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, they would not have faced condemnation by his words. And why do I bring this up? Because there are those who would read Matthew 22, knowing what Romans 8 says, and wonder why this seeming contradiction exists and how to deal with it. 
Matthew 22 says, all are called, but not all are chosen. Romans 8 says, those who are called are justified. If justification is like being saved, which it is, if we're justified in the sight of God by grace through faith, then you could also say that those who are called are also saved. So then Matthew 22 and Romans 8 seem to contradict themselves. But that's if we don't have the context. If we do have the context, someone reading could say, this, this invitation to the wedding feast is the gospel message. They are invited. It is the gospel message that we pour out upon the world. Let me ask you something, church. Is there somebody in this world that the Lord said, don't go and share the gospel with them? Anybody? Is there any, is there any people group in this world that God said, no, no, not them, not them. Everybody else, not them. Absolutely not. The gospel call is for everyone. The invitation goes out into the world. How do we know that? Because Jesus, as he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, literally spoke the words from his mouth about the truths of the kingdom of God, and there were all kinds of people there, and all kinds of people denied that call, but then some believed, and those were the the ones he kept close. The invitation to the wedding feast is the gospel message again We send it out, we preach it, we live it, and we make sure that everyone hears it, but only the chosen will respond. And that's what we're hearing as well. And why do I bring this up? Because we need it. Because we need the truth of God. The chosen people of God will hear the gospel call and they will respond with their lives. It is a great grace and absolutely beautiful that He would choose any of us in this place here on earth, isn't it? When I found out that Jesus Christ had died for me, I was floored. I didn't believe it. I couldn't understand it. Why for me? I've been so bad. I've messed up so much. I've hurt so many people, including myself. Why me? Is what I wanted to know. Because I didn't understand why He would do this. It is the most beautiful thing the most beautiful grace that he would choose any of us here in this place or on this earth. And it is breathtaking that he would do this and invite and choose people who have rebelled against his very kingship, his very lordship for great spans of time. So again, quickly, the called in Matthew 22 is the basic general grace of God to present the gospel to the entire world. They will all hear it. They will all come into contact with the truth of God, but ultimately not all will respond. And this is what we know to be true. Those who respond are those who are the called of Romans 8. Those who are the justified and the saved forever of Romans 8. And we hear in this parable that those to whom the first invitation was given didn't respond, don't we? Let's go back to Matthew 22, verse 1. And again... Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. It's interesting because we get this picture of this great grand feast. Now what do you think this this feast is, church? This is talking about the wedding feast. The wedding feast of the Lamb, that there was a call, there was an invitation that went out to some people. Who do you think those people were that said, nah, 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 and they just went on and did their own thing? They turned a blind eye. It was the Jews. Specifically, in this text, it was the Jews. And they had captured some of his servants, seized them, and killed them. And who's he talking about there? He's already talked about it before. We've gone through this. The prophets. John the Baptist, namely, where we've talked about that here, Jesus has brought him up to the forefront. He said, you killed the prophets. John came and you didn't believe him. He even asked them, the baptism, 
of John. Who was it from? Right? He wanted them to know exactly where they stood. But this grand feast the, for his son. Who do you think the son is, church? That is correct. Jesus. This is the great wedding feast. He served. He sent his servants and to call those in verse 3 who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. They would not. Not they could not. They would not. It was not their will to come. It was not their purpose to come. They didn't care about it. And he said, in verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. The message went out to them. The invitation went out. Jesus Christ is King. He is Lord of all. Believe in Him and have eternal life. They were invited in. Jesus was sent to the world, to the earth, to die for sinners. He did all kinds of wonderful miracles right in their midst, right in front of them. They were invited. He fed over 5,000 men, not counting the women and children with a few loaves and fish. Miracles right before their eyes. The invitation was given. The heavenly glorious beauty of God was on display for every single person to see. The invitation went out. The message went out. This is God. Look at what He does. Look at how He heals. Look at all these people that He feeds with nothing. Creating out of nothing. This is God. Believe in Him and have eternal life. The invitation went out, church. But they denied Him. And they went about their business. I got to go to work. I don't got time. Read. Come on, man. I got other stuff to do. I can't, I don't have time. They denied, they ignored. Their ignorance would be their condemnation. They paid no attention. Verse 5, they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry, so he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now listen to this. It's incredibly interesting. We hear of this very thing, this very truth in the Proverbs. If you will, join me. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. Now, what's what's another way of saying turn at my reproof? Repent. If you will repent, right? If you'll deny the world, turn from it. If you'll turn to me, God is saying, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. We learned last week and the week before that at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out on His people, wasn't it? He came down and flooded them like tongues of fire going around them. They began to speak in foreign languages that other people were there and understood, intelligible languages. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. The invitation. This is the call of Matthew 22. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. What does that sound a lot like, church? Sounds a lot like verse 3. They were invited. They would not come. Verse 4. He sent other servants. Tell them, I've prepared everything for them. Verse 5. They paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, killed them. And then verse, I mean, that's, that's verse 6. Verse 7. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Again, verse 26. 
of Proverbs 1, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. They were aloof. They were asleep in their sin. God was reproving them and they did not respond. They did not come. They did not answer the gospel call. They did not respond affirmatively to the invitation of the Lord to come, to repent, to turn to him. And then many who had received the invitation... Others got dressed. They came to the feast so that the wedding hall was filled with guests, as verse 10 says. And this is the teaching in Scripture that the gospel has gone out into the whole world to call even Gentiles to faith in Jesus Christ. And now I brought this up before, but it bears mentioning again. How do you feel, church, that the gospel message and the invitation of Christ goes out even to Gentiles? How do you feel about that? I feel good. Because I'm a Gentile by birth. Man, that makes me feel good. Because that means the gospel is from me. That that means I've been invited to the feast. But guess what I did, church? I got got up and I got dressed. I got dressed for the feast and I got ready. And I came. Just like I'll be there at the end with him in glory because I've professed my undying love and faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the truth for all of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, that we will be there with him at that feast because we are the bride of Christ, the church is. The amazing gift of God calls those who are far off, those who seemed not to be worthy of anything good in this world. That's what the Jews thought of them. They weren't worthy. The gospel doesn't, or the, 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 the message of God, the law for them, it doesn't, it doesn't extend to the Gentiles. They're pagans. They'll never be clean. They'll never get it together. They are not part of the promise of God. This is what the Jews thought. But the message of God for salvation wasn't, or they, they thought that the message of God for salvation wasn't for the Gentiles because the Pharisees could not see past the law. They could not see past the letter of the law. They couldn't see past their own pride. So Jesus shows them yet again that the feast is not for them. All this time they spent thinking that it was not for everyone else, only for them. Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. This is for, this invitation goes out to everyone. It is actually, though, there is no place for you at the feast, is what he says to them. That is a stark condemnation and judgment against them. It's not for a people simply born of physical blood, again, church, related to his people but for a people who are called according to his purposes that trust him through faith. We must have faith, church. Listen to what Romans 4, 13 through 17 says. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if, it's, if, the, if the promise of God is only for those who like live according, per, perfectly according to the law, adherents of the law, right? It says, for, it is, if it is, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. We know that that's not true. The faith faith is not null. The promise is not void because it is not only for adherents of the law, the promise. The heirs are not only adherents of the law. The heirs are those who believe in Jesus Christ through faith. That's who this kingdom is for. For the law brings wrath, in verse 15. But where there is no law... There is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. The promise rests on grace, church. The promise does not rest on works, not on your works. The promise does not rest on your own personal perfection. The promise rests 
on grace, the undeserved gift of God. God loving you when you were unlovable, as you are unlovable, as you rebel against Him. The grace of God loves you so much that He draws you in by His Spirit and the calling of the Father that we hear about also in John chapter 6. That is why it depends on faith again in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He creates out of nothing God does. He brings the dead to life. He makes life where there was none. He, his creative work in the beginning, I've brought this up before, it's, it's called, uh, there's a, a, a phrase, a term, it, it says ex nihilo, ex nihilo, out of nothing is what that means. God creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. Where there is nothing, he makes something. God is the only one who can do that. I've never materialized anything in front of me. I don't know about you. I've never made anything appear, even though when I was a child, I tried to, right? I tried to make wings appear on myself so I could jump off my roof and fly when I was a child, right? We've got imaginations, but those imaginations even run over into our, uh, not even only in our adolescence, but run over into our adulthood. And we have thoughts and uh, we have ideals that are not right. They are not right in the sight of God. We, we think we can do things that we can't, but God can do things that seem impossible. And this is how he creates out of nothing. And you could say that, in essence, his work to save the person is ex nihilo. It's out of nothing. Where there was no faith, where there was no good works, he made a new heart to believe. In fact, as Isaiah says, all the good works of men and women are what? They're like filthy rags to the Lord. In other words, there are no good works of man outside of a heart that is sold out for God and loves him intensely. Where there was no faith, no good works, he made a new heart to believe out of no righteousness in the person, no work of our own, out of nothing he called and chose us to believe in him who breathes into our nostrils and gives us life. He calls us to believe. He calls us and chose us to believe while we were dead in our sins. Out of nothing he called us. This is the love of God for his own as he brings spiritual lives to those who did not have them. I had no spiritual life, church, before Jesus Christ. I thought I did. I had my own philosophies about life. I had my own ideas about the way things should go and, and how I should think and how other people should think. And, and if, if you wanted to know any of them, all you had to do was ask me because I tell you, this is what life is about. And this is how you need to be. I would tell you that. All the while, I was nothing like what I thought I should be. And I knew that there was something else different that was created that I had no... Uh, no idea about it, and I found out about Jesus. And he changed me completely. Out of nothing, I was nowhere, seemingly non-existent in this world, before Jesus called me to his side. This is the love of God for his own, as he brings spiritual life to those who did not have it. And now those who have it by grace work for the rest of their lives to live it out. And that's what we do in the church. We work for the rest of our lives to live out the salvation that has been worked into us. We live out the calling to which we were called. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, verse 1, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner 
of, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now this Church is the effectual calling of the Lord, the one that calls to save. This is the salvation call, the one that has its final effect or an effect of finality on the believer. The effect of that call is salvation. This calling is the calling of the Lord to those to save those who had rebelled against him that he loved. Listen to 2 Peter, verse 1, starting in verse 10. 2 Peter 1 and 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Remember earlier I said that those who are given the call, who are saved by grace... Those of us who are saved by grace who receive the gospel call and respond that we work the rest of our lives living out the calling to which we were called. Listen to this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How do you do that? How do I confirm my calling? How do I confirm my election? For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The way that we confirm it is that we love God. At the bottom of everything, because there are several that you can go through if you want to go into 2 Peter 1, several qualities there that he lists. At the bottom of it all, as we know, is the great commandment that we would love God with everything that we are, that we would practice faithfulness. The confirming life is the life that we live as Christians. And this is the life that I'm encouraging you to live this morning, church. Live the confirming life. The confirming life. The life where we live out of love. Can you live out of love, church? Can you live from that place? Not from the negative place that sees something wrong with everything in the world. Because we know the world is going to be wrong. And there will always be things wrong with the world. But that place where we can live out of love, not looking at things negatively all the time, but living out of love and looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people as we live the gospel throughout our lives. Can we live the confirming life, church? Love for the Lord ultimately and love for one another secondarily. That is the way that we live the confirming life. This is the great commandment. Love God and love people. Now, when we live in this way, he says, we cannot fall. He says that in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Anybody just looking to fall in here? Anybody just looking for it? I'm just looking to fall. No, right? We don't look for that. Man, I'm looking to succeed. I'm looking to live. I'm looking to love. I'm looking to be faithful. I'm looking to live and and, and live the confirming life. I'm I'm looking to issue the gospel call. I'm looking to invite. I'm looking to disciple. I'm looking to help. I'm looking to serve. I'm looking to give. That's what I'm looking for. I ain't looking to fall. So then I I know that, that Peter is telling me that if I will live and be diligent to confirm the calling and election... If I practice these qualities, faithful qualities in the Lord, that I will not fall. So I'm going to tell you today, church, let me get you a little secret on life. If you live in faithfulness to God, you're going to be all right. Whoa, okay. If you live in faithfulness to God, you're going to be all right. That's an amen moment right there, because let me tell you something. I need that truth every moment of every day. Because the enemy, that pesky old devil, is always trying to get me. He's always trying to make me believe things that aren't true. 
He's always telling me that some things are important when they're not. He's always trying to confuse me about what my focus and priorities should be in life. But I live faithful to God through all that. Why? Because he's the only one that's ever helped me in this life. And he's the only one that ever can. He's the only one who can bring me to eternal life. He's the only one who's got life in his essence that he breathes out upon his people. He's the only one who really knows what love is. As 1 John 4 tells us, God is love. It is his essence to love you, church. We've got to live this confirming life. God bless you, bro. When we live in this way, we cannot fall. And this is where freedom exists for the believer. When we walk in the Spirit, we are free because our desires are changed. We are made new. We are, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are new creatures in Christ. Our desires have become like His desires. Listen to Romans 11.5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. So a group left behind. This is what the remnant is. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So I want to ask you something, church. Do you think that God's chosen, like his calling, his members, how it says uh, 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 many are called, few are chosen. Do you think that the choice of God, the election of God depends on your work? Does it depend on your work? I, I hope that you say no, because God's call, his election, does not ever depend on your work. That would mean that your works save you if it did. But as we know, our works do not save us because all our works are like filthy rags to the Lord, Isaiah tells us. Our works do not save us. The work of Christ on the cross saved us. Amen? We believe in him and his work. We live forever. At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So the choice of God to choose you is determined and enacted by His grace. Not your work. It's His grace, His choice. He's the one that decides. But if it is by grace, he says in verse 6, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. Why? Because in verse 5, that remnant was chosen by grace. That's why the elect obtained it. Because, excuse me, they were chosen by grace. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Some elected chosen, some hardened, who didn't respond. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. He gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Remember, church, our job is not to point out the good and the bad, to judge the living and the dead. That's not our job. Our job is to love God. Our job is to love people. And our, God, our job is to preach the gospel to everyone who breathes and teach them how to live like Jesus. This is both the great command and the great commission. Why? Because all are called, but not all are chosen. I don't know about you, church, but I want everybody in my family to be with us in heaven after this life. I want everybody to be there. I don't want anybody not to be there. And it's a hard thing to deal with when whenever one of our family members doesn't believe, right? It's a hard thing to deal with. I know many of you in here are still sharing the gospel with your families, wanting, praying for them to believe. The same as me. We are all doing that together with one another, for one another, so that they would all be with us. Because we know that what the Bible says about those who do not choose Him. Those who do not believe. We cannot ignore the commands of Scripture and be assured that we are chosen. It's by abiding in the Word of God. It's by living that confirming life. Abiding in the Word of God. Loving Him with all that we are. That we are assured in our conscience that we belong to Him. It's the love of the believer that shows the world that we're His disciples. Remember, He says, this is how they will know that you are my, my disciples, by, because of your love for one another, the way that you love one another. Church, 
Can, can you love each other? I ask you all that a lot. But guess what? You, know, you want to know why? Because it's the most important thing in our life. Because our love shows the world that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It is the proof of our salvation, our love. Our abiding love in Christ. John 14 through 17, our abiding love in Christ shows the world we are His disciples, also makes us obedient to His commands, which also is a display of love to God from the believer. Our response is love. That's the way we respond to God. How do I live my life today? How does this apply to me today? We are called to love. We are called to live in love, live out of love, live that confirming life of faithfulness and obedience to God, abiding in His Word, making sure making sure that we're telling people about Jesus. Make sure of that today, church. Make sure of that in your life. That that's who you are, because I assure you, God has called you with that call. Let's live as the chosen, as the elect. Quickly before I close, I want to address this last section here. When the king, in verse 11, Matthew 22, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? I said earlier, you know, we get up, we get dressed, you know. We got dressed in the wedding garment of Christ. How did we get dressed in that garment? Because we believed in Christ. And I tell you right now, this has nothing to do with the way that this man was dressed and looked physically. It had everything to do with the fact that he was not dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. Didn't have anything to do with the fact that maybe he wasn't wearing a suit, maybe he wasn't wearing a tie, maybe he didn't have a shirt tucked in, maybe his hair was a little messed up. It had everything to do with the fact that he was completely different than everybody else because he did not believe while the others did. In order to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we must believe in Jesus. So what we see here is we see somebody coming in trying to disrupt the wedding feast of the Lamb. We see someone in here trying to disrupt the, the wedding feast of the King that he set out for his son. Now we see this all the time in the church, don't we? We call them wolves in sheep's clothing. We also call them weeds or tares. People that sit alongside you in church services, maybe do life with you, maybe live in your own home and your family, who are disruptors of the gospel. They don't really want in. They just want to act like they do. But they got all kinds of different ideas, too, about the way that God loves and the way that God is and who Jesus Christ is. They have a different understanding of Jesus because they don't understand who he really is. And I want to encourage you today, church, because you probably have people like this in your family, and we definitely have people like this that come here. We have people like this that go everywhere. They are everywhere. No local church body is immune to this. None of them. They're everywhere. Because Jesus said, when they, when, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? He said, he said no, 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 let, let them alone, lest you uproot, Right? Lest you uproot those that I've planted, at the end, I'll sort them out. I want you to know that God is going to sort everything out at the end. That you do not need to become judge, jury, and executioner of anyone in this world. That you do not need to repay evil for evil. What we are to do is we are to respond to the gospel call of Jesus Christ in love. We are called to unite together it will be made clear to you who's not in unity, as it is to me. I know who's not in unity. I know it. We will know these things. But you know when I find somebody that's not in unity, you know what, you know, you know what my, my heart's desire is for them? Not to get them out of here. My heart's desire for them is to be in unity. My heart's desire is for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, whereby they would give their lives to him all the way and be saved where he would be the answer for them for everything. And this is what we need. If someone doesn't believe in Jesus today, don't condemn them today. Preach the gospel to them today. Share the word of God with them. Share about who Jesus is and how he's changed you. 
Maybe you're like, man, I don't know how to even start a conversation with somebody. Well, I'll tell you a real good way to start a conversation with somebody. Hey, how's it going? How are you? All it takes is a few words and you can get in. All you need to do is say hello. That's all you need to do. God's gospel call, his invitation to the world, is God saying, hello, I'm real. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I made you. And I'm calling, inviting you in. Let God sort everything else out. Amen, church? Our job is to live in love. Pursue it with our entire life. We have to live like the chosen. We have to live like the elect, church. Let's live like the children of the Most High God who have been adopted into his family and saved by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ forever. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for this text, Lord, this parable of the wedding feast. Lord, you're telling us that you have prepared a great banquet for your son. The sacrifice has been made. And we've been invited to this feast. Lord, I pray that we would live as the chosen. You say, oh, many are called, but not all are chosen. Lord, we, I pray that we are the chosen. I pray that we would confirm that by the life we live. That our consciences would be assured that we are with you, God, because... There are a lot of people in this world, Lord. There are many in here today who struggle with doubt. Lord, they, they, they fall into sin. And then they think that they don't belong to you, God, when in fact they do. But they could be stuck in a rut. God, I pray that you would continue to unfold the truth of your goodness in the very hearts of all who are joined with us here, Lord, and online. Lord, be the affirming voice for us, Lord. Let us know we belong to you, God. Help us to be obedient to everything you've commanded, Lord God. To love you with everything that you with everything that we are, that we could understand who you are. God, bring us together, Lord. Help us in this world, Lord. Help us be ushers of unity, the unity of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to continue to come together as a community. Help us to live in love. In Jesus' name, amen.